Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We are going to continue our series this morning called Behind the Scenes. Everyone say Behind the Scenes. We're up to week five. And uh, again, I'll just by way of introduction, tell you how I got the title. Uh, I love the movies. My favourite movie of all time to date is still Top Gun 1986. Tom Cruise, Kelly McGillis, great film. Go hire it on video and be, you know, bitterly disappointed because it's outdated and everything, but it still holds a special place in my heart. But I've always loved going to the movies. And again, on our 30th anniversary, we went to the movies. And what you'll notice with every movie, at the end of the movie, all these names come up. They're known as the credits. And what's interesting, they always start with the people that you saw in the movie, but pretty soon there's a whole heap of names that you don't know who they are, you never saw them in the movie, uh, and they just keep coming and coming and coming and coming. You, you, you know what I'm on about. And it was while I was in the movies, I felt God lay upon my heart a thought, and this is the thought that's come and packaged this whole series. And that is that there is a lot of things taking place behind the scenes that we don't necessarily see in the movie. But without them, the movie never would have happened. In actual fact, there are many things that take place behind the scenes that are actually more important than actually what we are seeing. And I kind of drew a parallel with what it is to produce a movie and what it is to produce the Christian life. And so we looked at and have been looking at some of the out-of-sight disciplines that make for an out-of-this-world life. And we've looked at prayer, we've looked at worship, we've looked at the reading of God's Word and stewardship, and today I want to tackle something that most of you are not going to like. I'm just going to just throw it out there. Most of you are going to want to turn off most of you are going to want to get cynical and annoyed with me because it involves money. Turn to the person next to you and say money. Turn to the other person and say money, money, money. Something funny in a rich man's world. Remember Abba? No. Moggy does. Dancing queen that you are. And so in order to stop you getting cynical, leaving the building and turning off, I I just want to say a few things before I get into my talk this morning and say this. The reason I want to speak about this subject is because money affects all of us. Is there anyone in this room that money does not affect? Cool, so it's relevant then, yeah? So you can't accuse me of being not relevant. This is very relevant. It affects all of us. Secondly, Jesus spoke more about money than any other subject. Jesus was forever addressing the issue of money. He spoke about how to get money, what to do with money, our attitude toward money. He spoke directly to people. He spoke to people in parables. And many of those parables involved finance. I also want to say this, that there are more good examples of financial stewardship in the church than bad. The reason we don't know that or often don't believe that 
is because we only ever hear about the bad ones. Let me explain it this way. Two weeks ago, a Malaysian flight took off and we haven't heard from it since. You know the flight I'm talking about, MH370. And because something tragic has happened to this plane, everyone's aware of it. And some of you might have resolved, I will never go on a plane again because I just can't trust all airlines. Which would be ridiculous. Because it would be to overlook the obvious thing. And that is for every MH370, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of planes that take off really smoothly fly to their destination and land and everyone gets off and gets to their destination and does business and has a great holiday. And you never hear about that. Why? Because it's good news. Imagine the news being full of stories like that. Today, Qantas blah, 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 took off, landed and they revived safely. (laughs) On that matter, so did this one and so did this one. It just... We love to sensationalise things. And so when one person in the church falls and it involves money, we say, aha, see, I told you, all Christians are bad. (laughs) Slightly over-exaggerated to think, I don't know. But I hurt my hip, I know that. Anyway. But seriously, we love to sensationalise. And I think, what is it in our heart that we love to grab a hold of one bad story and, and paint the whole church with that? I know of a handful of people that have done the wrong thing. But I know of many, 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 many other pastors that have faithfully served in big churches and small churches, in city churches and country churches, and you never hear about them because they're doing the right thing. And so this message is not a grab for your cash, so relax. The other thing I want to say, and probably the most telling thing, is this. By virtue of you being here today, I would say there is something intriguing or something that you appreciate about this church. And I would say that something that you appreciate about this church, I believe would be very closely attached to the tithing and the generosity of God's people in this church. If it was not for the tithe, if it was not for the generosity of the people, many of you would not be here this morning. I mean, even by virtue of people coming early this morning and standing there in their orange vests, pointing your car to the right place so that you do not have an accident, is an act of kindness. It's an act of generosity. They didn't have to do it. They're not being paid to do it. They are doing it to make sure that this service runs smoothly. Such is the generosity and the nature of this church. There are people who came early and put their hand down toilets this morning me being one of them, to make sure that the toilets are clean and they've picked up a mop. All these acts of kindness and generosity create for an experience that we can appreciate. Judy and the team serving in the cafe week after week, the playground that we have, this did not happen just through prayer. 
We were not in an elders meeting one day and said, oh Lord, we would just love a playground in Jesus' name and boop. No. Thank you, Lord. Much of what we have is a direct result of the goodness of God granted, but also the generosity of God's people. And I, for one, am very, very, very grateful. And if you are very grateful, can you just show your appreciation this morning? And if this is your first visit this morning, and you're thinking, man, they only ever talk about money in the church, that is, not, that is certainly not true of our church. This is not a subject I talk about all the time, but it is a subject I do speak about when I feel I need to, because it would be wrong of me not to. Okay, so we're looking this morning specifically about tithing, because tithing, like prayer, like worship, like reading God's Word, like stewardship, are all meant to be part of the normal Christian life. Unfortunately, there are many misconceptions about the tithe. There are those that say you should not do it. There are those that say you should. And there are others who say, what's a tithe? They can't even say it properly, but anyway. And so to remove the confusion, we just want a little bit of understanding on the subject this morning. And what we need to know is that there are some principles that are definitely old covenant. And there are some that are new. And there are others that are eternal principles. Gravity is not an old covenant principle or a new covenant principle, it's eternal principle. You might say, I don't believe that. I believe under the new covenant, gravity doesn't exist. That's fine. But if you were to stand up here on this stage and stepped off, regardless of your belief system, something would happen. Let's have a quick vote, show of hands. If I step off this stage, do I go up, down, or straight ahead? Who thinks I'll go straight ahead? Who thinks I'm going to go up? <laughs> There's always one. Always one. Who thinks I'm going to go down? Yeah. It's an eternal principle. It's got nothing to do with old covenant or new covenant. Sowing and reaping is not an old covenant principle. It's not a new covenant principle. It's an eternal principle. Yeah. Before the law, if you put seed in the ground... You sow and you reap. And I believe that tithing is not an old covenant principle nor a new covenant principle. I believe the issue of tithing and the issue of generosity is an eternal principle. We see that before the law was introduced, Abram, as he was known, he became Abraham later, but he was a man who was able to give God a tenth of what he had before the law was introduced. Why? Because it was the right thing to do. And so he wasn't motivated by what was taught in the law. He wasn't motivated by what was written on a piece of paper or in stone. It was something he was motivated out of a love for his God. His son Isaac followed suit. And so we see it, it was something that preceded the law. Giving, giving a portion of your income, a portion of your wealth to God happened and preceded before the law was introduced. So what is a tithe? A tithe is simply a mathematical term. It means one-tenth. One-tenth. And tithing was officially introduced through the law, but existed prior to the law. And so the question I want to look at today is, should we tithe today? 
The biggest argument against tithing is simply that it was done away with in the Old Covenant. It was done away with when Jesus came and died upon the cross. And the reason we come to that conclusion, for the most part, is because it's not emphasized as much in the new as it is in the old. However, what you've got to understand is that tithing was firmly understood by the Jewish society in the time of Christ. You know, breathing is not mentioned much in the Bible. It's there, but it's not mentioned much. There are some things that are so intrinsic. There are some things that are so in place that they don't need as much emphasizing. And so today, I didn't look at my kids and say, hey guys, remember to breathe in and breathe out. In actual fact, if they do not breathe in and out, it's very dangerous. In actual fact, it's one of the most important things you've got to do, but I don't have to remind them because it's a given. And Jesus did a lot of his teaching to the Jewish people and those things were a given. And so it didn't need to be emphasized as much. Is that making sense? And so write this down and tweet this, remember to breathe. It would be silly tweet, wouldn't it? Because it's obvious. And so in the New Testament, tithing is not addressed to the same degree because it was a given. However... It is implied and it is mentioned nonetheless. And I want to look at five points, five scriptures in the New Testament that talk about the essence of tithing. Tithing is something that I have done since the age of 15 or 16, somewhere around there. This is not something that I'm asking you to do to make me and or this church wealthy. This is something I believe. This is one of those uh, out-of-sight disciplines that has helped me and held me and shaped my world so that 20 years after building the church, I'm still here. 30 years after dating my then-girlfriend, now-wife, we are still on track. These are things I believe in. These are things that if you cut me, I will bleed. These are things that are uh, who I am. I pray. I read my Bible. I believe in stewardship. I believe in reading my word, I believe in tithing. Amen. And so here are five New Testament scriptures that reflect the essence of tithing. The first one is to put God first in everything. And it's found in Matthew 6 verse 33. It says, seek first. Everyone say first. Not second, not third, not fourth, but first. Seek first. Do you know what first means? First. Did an in-depth study, and it means first. I actually studied it real, you know, I went to another concordance and it said not second, but first. Anyway, first, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The key word in this scripture is first. What you put first in your life determines what will be added to your life. Whatever you love most is what you put first. And I think it would be fair to say that in the community that we live, in the world in which we live, most people put what they love first. And what most people love the most is themselves. And they put themselves first because that's what they love the most. And so the most of their money, the most of their time, the most is spent on themselves. 
And this thought is what grips our heart and causes such conflict in our thinking because Jesus came to mess with the culture and the times in which we live. Jesus was often heard saying, you've heard it said this, but I tell you something else. Because every one of us is born into a culture. I've shared this many times before. Every one of us is born into a culture. I was born into a very English culture. I was born in Adelaide at Elizabeth. How do you say Elizabeth? But I had English parents. Which means from the age of 18 months, I've been drinking tea in a cup. Even at the age of 18 months, I had my little finger just right, just like... It's the culture I was born into. Roast beef and Yorkshire pudding was a staple dinner for me growing up. Any other English people out there who know what I'm on about? If I was born into another culture, my likes would be different. Some of you have an Indian background and so you're into curry in a hurry. And you often wobble your head and you talk like this. It's culture. But when we get born again, we get born again into another culture, a kingdom culture. And that's where the battle is. Because for so long in our life, we were born into a culture and this is what we always did. Now we meet Jesus and now he's saying, do the opposite. You've lived for yourself. Now I want you to live for others. You put yourself first, now I want you to put my kingdom first. And that's where the conflict is, that's where the battle is. And that's why you need the church, and that's why you need pastors and people to help you and hold you and love you through those times of conflict. Put God first in everything. This was modelled, of course, by God himself who sent his firstborn. He sent his best. The Old Testament is full of prophet after prophet after prophet, after prophet being sent. And every one of them was rejected and despised. And then God sends heaven's best. And all he's asking us is to follow suit by putting God first. First in our finances, yes. First in our marriage, yes. First in, in our parenting, yes. First in our day, yes. Put him first. Put him first. Secondly, Jesus said we should tithe. In Luke chapter 11, verse 42, Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should, everyone say should. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Jesus only ever spoke about tithing once. And this is what he said about it. You should do it. It's real simple. He didn't say that love and justice should give way to those things. He said said it should be a both and scenario. You should give a tithe. You should be generous. But you should practice love and justice at the same time. Jesus himself said that we should do it. Thirdly, the new covenant generosity should surpass old covenant generosity. In Matthew 5, verse 20, Jesus said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus never challenged 
his disciples to do what the Pharisees did. He always challenged them to do more. On many occasions, Jesus took the teaching of the Old Testament and raised it. You gamblers out there, you who play blackjack and all those card games online or in secret little rooms full of smoke, you know what I mean? You, 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 you see someone's hand and then you, you see it and you raise it. Is that right? <laughs> I'm not really much on cards. but And essentially that's what Jesus is doing. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. I, I, don't want to say, I want to add to that. I want to see it and raise it. I want, I want you to love your enemies. Yeah. It's like, what, what? Yeah. I want you to love your enemies. And Jesus modeled that. To think that the people under old covenant law had to give so much of their income and we now under grace think that we don't have to give anything. I think we should be at least be able to match what they did under the old covenant prior to Christ coming and laying down his life and sacrificing himself once and for all that we might live. I believe with all my heart that the generosity and the service of new covenant believers should be far greater than that of old covenant believers. Number four, tithing is a percentage, not an amount. It's a percentage, not an amount. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 to 2, it says, Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So this is kind of like standard. It wasn't just for one church, it was for the churches. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. If I had to describe to you what is tithing without using the word tithe, I would probably say it's a sum of money in keeping with your income, which is exactly what Paul says here. It's a percentage. It's not an amount. In other words, what we give will be different amounts, but there should be equal sacrifice. We sh- it should cost us all something. When we put this building up, and I want you to know, if you're visiting for the first time today, we had you in mind when we put this building up. This building was bigger than the amount of people that we had when we built this building, because we had you in mind. We built it bigger than what we could handle because we knew you were coming. We didn't know what you looked like. We didn't know what gender you were. We didn't know how tall you were. We didn't know what you weigh. We still don't know what you weigh. We're not going to weigh you after. It's okay, fine, relax. But we knew you were coming. We knew you were coming. And not everyone could do the same job or offer the same skill, but there are so many people, so many volunteers offering their help, making sure that they put something into this building. There are fingerprints of so many people in this place, all over this room. For Moggy, for example, he's on the front row here. His bone is in the wall today. He broke both wrists while he was jackhammering away and he kept going. That was crazy sacrifice. Different people did different jobs. Some had the rollers and paint. Others were just vacuuming carpets. But there was a sacrifice nonetheless. Didn't all look the same, but there was equal sacrifice nonetheless. And my last point this morning is simply this, that tithing provides financial support for ministry. In Luke 8 verse 3, 
says, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna and many others, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. In other words, these women were using what they had to support the ministry of Jesus. This is what we call the provision for the vision. The provision for the vision. In other words, God doesn't need your money. It's not like God's in heaven waiting every Sunday saying, buddy, can you give us a fiver? I'm a little skint today. That's not the God we serve. We serve the God of more than enough. It's not God who needs our money. It's people that need our resource, our finance. And when I think about what we've been able to do, whether it's in Indonesia, again, that didn't happen just through prayer. There's been an investment of people's time, effort and energy and finances to buy that land, to put those four buildings on it, to sponsor those children, to go over there numerous times. It's not just prayer alone. Tithing finances the work of the Lord. What we need to understand about money is it's simply a tool. Money is not to be worshipped. Money is not a God. Unfortunately, many people have made it a God. And it's interesting to me that Jesus said, you'll either serve God or money. It is that powerful. You'll either serve the almighty dollar or almighty God. You'll either serve one or the other. But if we understand that money is just a tool, and we see it as a tool to finance the work of the Lord, and understand that money can say to land, I can own you. Money says to a vision, I can fulfill you. Money says to a building, I can build you. Money says to a ministry, I can support you. Money says to poverty, I can feed you. Money says to opportunity, I can take you. And I believe that's why our thinking around money has to be enlarged so that we don't make it just about us and me and mine, but that we see it bigger and understand that God has put us in a world with resource, not just to help us and our own, but to help others as well. Amen. That is worthy of a round of applause, I think. As our musicians come up, we need our musicians to come. That would be great. Let me close with this thought this morning. This is one talk in a series about us embracing certain disciplines that will help us live what I believe Jesus spoke of and about. Many people say, I tried Christianity. But I believe if you could grab this series and allow these principles to get deep within your spirit and then put them into practice over and over and over again. Hey, you might have a day that's bad. You may have a day where you get a flat tire. You may have a day that doesn't quite go well for you. That's not the time to point your finger at God and say, where are you, God? It's the time to hold your line. Hang around long enough. Because as you look back, you start to see, wow, God has been good to me. And any day that was a loss has been made up for over time. These are disciplines that I've been doing for about 30 years. And I do not feel out of pocket. I do not feel poorer for spending time praying and reading my word and giving of my tithe and offerings. I feel blessed and I feel rich. And if you're one of those that have tried these principles, I would say keep trying them. Keep doing them. Don't just do them for a week or a month or even a year. 
But just set yourself. Set yourself and keep doing them. Because essentially the Christian walk looks like this. One day you wake up and you're faithful. The next day you wake up and you're faithful. The next day you wake up and you're faithful. No angels, no heaven, divine intervention, just faithful. The next day you wake up and you're faithful. The next day you wake up and you're faithful. The next day, to be honest, you've had enough, you've had a gutful, you want out. Anyone ever felt like that? I have. And you're like this, you're faithful. The next day, you read a Joyce Meyer book, Stephen Furtick book. You listen to Tony Rainbow preach. And it's like, woohoo, faithful, faithful, easy. Next day you wake up and you're faithful. Next day you get up, you brush your teeth, go to the toilet, eat your breakfast, faithful. In, not in that order, but whatever. Next day you wake up and you're faithful. Next day you wake up and you're faithful. Next day you wake up and you're fruitful. So, wow. Wow. Where did that come from? All the faithfulness. Now here's the thing. Once you get that bit of fruit... You don't retire and write a book about your success in ministry. You're one apple. I'm going to tell you how to get an apple. You say, thank you for the apple. And the next day, you get up and you're faithful again. And you're faithful. And you're faithful. And you're faithful. And you're fruitful. Two apples. And you're faithful, and you're faithful, and you're faithful. Oh, more fruit. And you're faithful, and you're faithful. And over a lifetime, got all this fruit, but it's all right for you. See, here's the thing. When we read those biographies and autobiographies, they leave out all the faithful nut. They leave out all the, all the boring bits. You know why? Because boring doesn't sell. you imagine if books were honest and real? To be honest, there was a couple of days I just went to the toilet. <laughs> Didn't read my Bible. It's a horrible day. Chapter three, done. <laughs> really? But every great man or woman of God has those chapters. We just don't put them in. Because publishers say take it out. It doesn't sell. So we have books of fruit. And we don't highlight the faithfulness that produced the fruit. I've never had God visit me and speak to me audibly, ever. You'd think I would after all these years of serving him. But never. But I can say over 20 years, he spoke to me many times. Be faithful. Be faithful. When it comes to tithing, let me conclude with this thought. That tithing is not a commandment as much as it is a commitment. Here's the good news. Can you come to this church and not tithe? Yeah, absolutely. You're welcome. You're welcome. Can you come to this church and drink beer? You better drink beer. <laughs> Joke. <laughs> but if anyone wants to shout me a beer later, I'm, I'm, anyway, anyway, 
didn't come. It's not a commandment. It's a commitment. But this I know, if you want to build something great, it takes a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission to build a great church. We're not going to build a great church with everyone saying, ah, oh, I can be bothered. I don't agree with that. I'll let someone else clean the toilets. I'll let someone else park the cars. But you're welcome. But we'd love for you, and we'd love to help you move in your journey. I have two people on the front row, Paul and Gabe and Ivan. They helped me move in my journey. When Paul first approached me about ministry, we were at roller skating. I was a much better roller skater than he was. And he asked me about ministry and my future, thoughts, dreams, aspirations. And I just looked at him like he was an alien. And I skated away from him. I did not want to be in ministry. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't run away. I skated away, but I went round into the circle. <laughs> and that was a metaphor of me coming back to Paul and saying, okay, tell me more. So if there's anything I've shared today that you're grappling to understand or don't even get or don't even like, that's cool. Keep coming back. You don't have to leave over that. Just keep coming back. Ask more questions. So I go to Paul. I, said, oh, so I knew I was rude, so I apologized. And I said, look, tell me a little bit more. What was that? I get it. I get that. Everything you hear from the front is not easy. It's not comfortable. Any of you who've got kids know that the advice you give to kids isn't always easy or comfortable. If you only ever give advice that's easy and comfortable, you're not parenting. And if you only ever hear things that are preached that are easy and comfortable, you're not pastoring. You're not really loving people. If we're not confronting one another, we're not loving one another. If in our relationship, we're not saying, hey, how you, how's your Bible reading going? And they say, I don't read my Bible anymore. And at that moment, we don't say, what? What? Really? Why? What's going on? What do you mean you're not reading anymore? Not out of legalistic, ritualistic duty, but just we want to know what's going on so we can help you through that yeah. sticking point. I've never made one major decision in my life on my own. I've always made sure I've had the right people in my world to help me through those sticking points because we all face them. Amen. And what's the thing that makes most sense of all of this to me? And why for me, tithing and generosity and service and stewardship for me, the thing that centers it all is one man. Even if you can't grasp anything I've said, let us look at the life of Jesus as we prepare to eat and drink in remembrance of him and his death, burial and resurrection. What did Jesus do? The Bible says that Jesus came to not be served, but to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. This is, this is the leader of our movement. He's serving He's giving. He's laying down his life. Personally, it doesn't make sense to me to say, I want to be a Christian and ignore all of that. Because that is Christianity. 
Christianity is following our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 